Welcome, everybody, to our weekend. We are in our series, Turbulence and How to Climb Above the Clouds of Uncertainty. And uh, this weekend, we happen to be broadcasting from Loring Park at our Music Box Theater. I tell you, it's exciting to be here at this iconic place, which by God's grace and your generosity, we have been able to purchase. And the team down here is doing a fantastic job being led by Pastor Trent and all of the other great folks that are part of what God is doing here. And uh, it's, it's wonderful to be part of a ministry that's making a difference in people's lives. So I'm just grateful to be here and to share with you in this, uh, in this special format. Let's jump into our series. We have already talked about one of the ways that we can overcome uncertainty is through prayer. Pastor Brian taught us about that. And last weekend, I talked to us about the fact that, you know, even when we pray, sometimes it seems like things get worse instead of better. We looked at the life of Elijah, and we discovered that in those moments, rather than panicking, we need to accept the fact that God does give us enough to be faithful to him, even in difficult times. It's not about our agenda. It's about glorifying him. But I want to talk about something that a lot of people struggle with. I struggle with it. I'm guessing you struggle with it as well. And the way I want to approach that is tell you about something that happened right after 9-11. Right after 9-11, I was supposed to go out to the West Coast to speak to a group of pastors. At that point in time, I was pastoring a wonderful church called the Compass Church in Chicago, Illinois. And uh, the FAA and the government had finally said, you know, we can put the planes back in the sky. So it's like one of the first flights uh, after 9-11 to be cleared to fly. And it was a puddle jumper from uh, Chicago to the West Coast. I had three different places I'd have to stop. And at one of those places, the middle seat became open. And as the passengers from that particular area got on board, I waited to see who was going to sit next to me. And uh, this guy decided he wanted to sit next to me, and he was a tough-looking guy. I mean, he had all the tattoos, he had a scruffy kind of beard, he had his leather jacket on, he had his big boots on, he just did not look very happy, and I thought, man, this guy, this guy's a tough dude. He sat next to me, and as our plane prepared to taxi out to the runway, I noticed that he was... Uh, really agitated, like he was moving back and forth and he couldn't keep his hands still and he was checking the, the pocket in the, in the chair ahead of us and uh, kind of looking to see what was in there and was just really agitated. And I could tell it was making the, the gal who was sitting against the window nervous because I just was kind of watching her actions and she got her book out and kind of buried her face in it. And, and you know, right after 9-11, everybody's kind of on high alert. So I'm just watching this guy and all of a sudden, he pulls out this pouch, and he opens it up, and he empties its contents, and it's two beautiful, red, smooth rocks. And he starts doing this with his hands. And all of a sudden, I realize, this guy's not tough. This guy's scared. This guy's not just scared. He's really worried. So I thought to myself, here's an opportunity for me. I'll try to distract him a little bit. And so we got into this conversation, but he kept doing this the whole time, uh, trying to deal with his worries. And uh, what I found out was he was a tough guy, but he was afraid to fly, and especially right after 9-11. So I talked a little bit about God and about prayer, and uh, he never really opened up to receiving Christ, but we had a great conversation. I prayed silently for him. I want to ask you a question. What is it you're worried about in your life? 
And what is it that's causing you to just feel like you can't sit still? There's a lack of peace. And, and, and what's driving you to, you know, kind of roll things around in your mind and your heart over and over and over again? You know, when Jesus was born on this earth and took on human flesh, he came to people that had everyday worries just like you and me. Theirs may have been a little different, but they had worries too. For instance, they had economic worries. My goodness, it was hard to survive in those days. They were enormously taxed by Rome to a point that sometimes they had to give away their homes. They had to sell their family into slavery. It was not a pretty picture. It was really hard economically. So they had financial worries. They had political worries. The land was theirs. It was Israel's land, but Rome was in control and had taken over. And so there was great oppression in the people's lives as a result of that. They had religious worries as well because by that time, the Pharisees had extrapolated so much out of the law that God had given that you couldn't, you couldn't keep all the rules and all the regulations they had established. And so for the people, it was this constant burden. You know, can I, can I possibly approach God? Does God still love me? Can I ever do enough to please God? And then, of course, there were health concerns. Think about it. Back in those days, uh, not, they didn't have doctors like we have today and the medicine that we have today. And people got sick and people died. And beyond that, there was the, the worry of relationships, of your marriage, of your kids, of your neighbors, of people you might be working with, and, and all the different groups that were involved, and Greeks versus Gentiles. So there was a lot to worry about in those days. There always seems to have been a lot to worry about. So I'll ask you again. What are you worried about? What are some of the things that are coming to your mind right now or some of the images even as I ask you that question? I was doing a little bit of research on this topic and I came across uh, an expert on, on stress and this expert identified several areas that are the cause of almost all of our worries and all of our anxiety. So I thought I'd uh, share a couple of those with you, and maybe you'll be able to identify some of them. And they're very similar to what the ancients wrestled with. For instance, one of the areas that we have a lot of worry about these days are finances. In fact, it is the number one worry in Americans Think about that. We're probably the wealthiest nation on earth, and yet that's our greatest fear, our greatest worry. 77% of people say that's what they worry about the most. Or work. You know, people work 8% more now than they did 20 years ago, and that's not getting any better. And so people are spending enormous hours working, and oftentimes working multiple jobs in order to afford the, the life that uh, is now made available materially or in order to try to just keep up and survive and to exist. And then there's always the tension of personal relationships, and that just seems more hyped up these days than it's ever been before. Or parenting, schedules, and pressure that kids are facing. I, I was talking to a specialist who works with uh, youth across the, uh, the Twin Cities, and it was really interesting. He said to me that the number one problem isn't drugs and alcohol or sex, the number one problem is the enormous pressure these kids feel to perform, to get the right grades, get in the right school, and uh, you know, make the right team. Or we could look at daily living and busyness. 
you know, the stress of where did I lose, you know, where did I misplace my keys to deadlines I've got to make. Or we could talk about media today and how much stress that has created, social media, Facebook, or uh, Twitter, and on it goes. People get so locked into it and what's being said about them or not being said about them. And we could just talk about life change, you know, losing somebody you love. And certainly at Wooddale Church, uh, many of you have experienced that, and that's very traumatic when you go through that. Having lost my mom last fall, I know something of what that feels like. And then working with my dad and trying to help him as he's coping with having lived with her for 60 years and suddenly she's gone. So I just, you know, what I just did is I raised a lot of tension in the room, didn't I? (laughs) Because now all of a sudden you're thinking to yourself, man, I came to church for some peace this weekend and you're reminding me about all these things. I'm feeling kind of fidgety. Do you have a couple of those red stones that I could be rolling around in my hand right now? What does God have to say to all of that? Well, Jesus speaks to stress. He speaks to worry. And I want you to turn with me now to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, where he addresses that issue. Here are the words of the Lord that spoke to the ancients, and it speaks to you and me as well. I want to start reading verse 24. It says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And we could use anything else there as well. Verse 25. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and through and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have such little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and it will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for just today. It's kind of hard to hear, isn't it? You're all worried and stressed and Jesus says, don't worry, right? Don't worry, be happy, the old song used to say. If it were only possible, it's like telling somebody who's deeply depressed, just stop being depressed. You can't just stop. It's, It's hard to just say to somebody, stop worrying. He's like, how do I just stop worrying? Maybe we're asking the wrong question. Maybe the question really isn't, how do I stop worrying? How do I overcome this issue? Maybe the question we really need to ask is, why do I worry? Why do we worry? I think we have to understand that and answer that in order to know how to deal with worry in our lives and in our families. 
In order to do that, I thought uh, we'd do a little bit of drawing with Dale today. So if you have a pad of paper or uh, can borrow something from someone or you have to doodle on your hand, go ahead. But I just, I just want you to draw yourself out in terms of when you're worried. The way I'd like you to do that is just kind of just make a face for yourself. And I hate to do this to you, but I, I need you to kind of have an unhappy face, all right? Because this is your worry face. So what are you worried about? Uh, you, you might be worried about money, about finances. Or you might be worried about your job or your career. Or you might be worried about media and things that are being said about you or others. <clears throat> keeping up with all the comments, all the likes, all the friends. Uh, and maybe you've been unfriended. I don't do Facebook, so I don't know all the technology technological terms, but you get it, right? Or uh, maybe what you're wrestling with is, is some health issue that's going on in, in your life. You, you're suffering, you've been sick, things aren't going real well. Or maybe it's, maybe it's relationships, right? You've got a kid who's just struggling with, or, or it's somebody at work, or it's that neighbor who's kind of driving you crazy. Uh, or maybe the issue that you're wrestling with is change. You've experienced some major change in your life, and it's just not going well. You know, if you had to fill this out, what would you add to it? What more would you put on there? You see, here's the issue when we look at uh, these kinds of, of things. Uh, we look at these, and we ask ourselves, what, what do I have to have uh, to be fulfilled? What do I have to have to have X in my life? And then what happens is we move from that to how do I keep this in my life, right? How do I stay free of the kinds of things that could create worry in my life? How can I be assured that what I need will be there? And how can I get rid of the stuff that's uh, stressing, stressing my life out? And if you want to put it a different way, what oftentimes happens to us is, you know, we worry about getting then we worry about keeping, and then we worry about losing. Where, where, does this, where does all of this come from? And the answer to that question, it's a result of being deceived. It's a result of deception. You say, well, what do you mean by being deceived? And what do you mean by, being, uh, by deception? It takes us to another drawing, all right? I want to take you back. We have done this often. I want to take you back to the book of Genesis because all of our problems ultimately begin in the book of Genesis. And we're going to look at two characters we talked about before. This is going to represent Adam. This is going to re represent Eve, right? And in the very beginning, it says that they were naked and not ashamed. That's how God created them. In other words, they weren't self-conscious. God, all right, God was their ultimate source of being, of fulfillment, and of peace. So they didn't need a lot of other things in their life. You know, their nakedness kind of speaks to that, right? God provided their needs, but their joy and their happiness actually came from God himself. And so they were very content. They didn't have to have a bunch of other stuff. But one day, that rebellious creature we call Satan shows up and he convinces them through deception that they don't need God, that they can be their own gods, that they can make their own choices, that they can find fulfillment and happiness in themselves. And so they disobeyed God because God had warned them, 
don't take it on yourself. And he did that by telling them, there's this tree that belongs to me, this fruit that is mine, don't take it. In other words, don't disobey me. Stay with me as your source. Well, they disobeyed God. They took what didn't belong to them. And all of a sudden, they realized when they did that, that rather than being God's, there was this vacuum that was now in their life. There was this emptiness. There was this eeriness. There was this sense of loss and discouragement. And as a result of that, they started looking everywhere else for all kinds of things. Let's go back to our first picture. They started looking for other means and other ways and other people and other situations to fulfill their lives. Now, we are their children, and we had that nature within us. Our nature is not to look to God for our source, but to look to all the wrong things to our, for our source of happiness and joy. And ultimately, those things fail us. We complicate our lives with unnecessary things. Look what Jesus said in verse 27 of Matthew chapter 6. He said, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And the answer to that question is absolutely not. Worrying about these and other things is not going to add any value to my life. If anything, it takes away from my life. If anything, it leaves me sick. It gives me a stroke. It gives me uh, anxiety. It causes stress. It causes insomnia. It causes ulcers. It causes broken relationships. And, and boy, the list just goes on of the hurt and the pain that comes as a result of this whole issue of, of worry. But we're still waiting for the answer to the question, aren't we? Okay, I understand now what happened and why it happened. How do I overcome worry? Well, I'm not going to give you like three simple steps and say, if you do these three things, automatically it's going to be taken care of. The reality is some of us may have a lot of work to do to overcome our worry. And it's, it's more of a mental, spiritual, emotional work that you have to do. But I guarantee you the results are going to be um, life-giving to you. So I really want you to think through some of the things that we're about to talk about. Because the key verse in this passage to overcoming worry is verse 33. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. Not want, but everything you need. So in other words, if you want to kind of create some uh, thoughts about this that you can jot down, all right, it, it means that I got to set a priority. If I want to overcome worry, I start with Jesus first. Not my health, not my wife, not my kids, not my friends, not my job, not my finances, not my toys, not my looks, not my talents, not my abilities, not social media, whatever it is. I start with Jesus first. It's kind of like going back to the garden, go back to our drawing here, and reinstituting God as the center point of my life. You know, Mark chapter 10, it tells us about the rich young ruler who had Everything you could have in the ancient world. Because he had money, he had power. But he had this sense of, you know, I'm not sure about eternity. And he came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, well, keep all the commandments. He said, well, I do keep the commandments. And so Jesus said, fine, go sell everything you have and come follow me. What an awesome invitation, huh? I mean, if Jesus walked up to you today and said, you can follow me. Like, we're going to walk together in the streets of Minneapolis. Or we're going to be together in a diner or in Eden Prairie or wherever you're watching this right now. 
All you have to do is go sell everything you have. Give everything up and join me. Let's go arm in arm. I want to ask you a question. Could you do it? Could you really do it? Think about that. The rich young ruler was at least honest. It says that his face fell, which just means he just kind of looked down and, you know, his, his shoulders slumped because that was this decision. I mean, his identity was his riches, rich young ruler. Now he's being asked to give it up. So he has to, he has to let go of this stuff and he refuses to do it. He won't let it go. And therefore, he doesn't have eternal life because he's put everything else in God's place. He rejects God for all of these things that are in his life. You know, worry is a byproduct of materialism. And that's why, though we have so much as a nation, we're probably the most stressed people on earth. Because the more I have, right, go back to our first drawing again, all right, the more I have, the more liabilities I have in my life. The more I have to worry about. Isn't it interesting that in one of Jesus' Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, over in Matthew chapter 5, just a few pages away, in verse 3, he said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now, so Jesus is saying, and James talks about in James chapter 1, about verse 7 or verse 9, there's, there's an advantage of not having a lot because when you don't have a lot, you have a tendency then to look to God and depend on him. And so Jesus says, those folks are blessed. So if you ever thought to yourself, you don't have a lot compared to somebody else, that may be a blessing for you. Because that means your focus is directed then towards him. And you can draw closer to him. Whereas people who have a lot can, not saying they do, but they can get very distracted and very worried because of all those things and the pressure and the responsibilities and the loyalties that that creates in their lives. Second thought. First one, start with Jesus. Second thought is focus on God's love. That is so different than worry, isn't it? So different than fear and stress. You know, Jesus, when he came in human form, and the Holy Spirit, it says, drove him into the wilderness as he began his ministry. He faced temptation by the evil one, just like Adam and Eve in the garden. And the evil one kept saying, you know, if you'll say no to the Father, if you'll just bow to me, I'll give you all of these things. I'll give you power. I'll give you money. I'll give you image, identity, and success, outwardly speaking. But Jesus refused. Because he knew that ultimate fulfillment comes from one's relationship to the Father. And the thing that Jesus always knew about his Father is that his Father loved him. Read John chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 sometime today. John chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 where Jesus just says to his critics, he just comes out and says, my father loves me. He's always loved me. He always will love me. I trust my father. John 2, he says, I don't trust people. People don't always love you, but I know my father will always love me. So I'm not going to switch my source. I'm staying with the father. And I suggest the same thing is true for you and me. Because Ultimately, when we're searching for all these things in our life, what are we really looking for? We're looking for love, aren't we? We're looking for a sense of identity. We're looking for a sense of image. And these give us false sense, don't they? They give us a false sense of image and identity. 
We, we so end up pleasing people instead of pleasing God. You are never going to please yourself, by the way. I don't care how independent you are. You are never trying to please yourself. You're always trying to please somebody. Because that's where you draw steam from. It's what we think others think about us. Or what others say about us. What a crazy way to live. You're like a slave then. God loves you and me unconditionally. It has nothing to do with how successful, how talented, how rich, or how poor we are. He just loves us. I don't know about you, but (sighs) that's a relief for me. My challenge to the materialistic world is to stay there and, and not let the marketers or others move me away from that vital, important truth. I guess I'd like to rephrase these thoughts in maybe some different sentences that you can jot down as well. So thinking about it differently, in essence, what I'm saying is this. When God's love becomes my source of peace, when his love and his presence means more to me than all those things, there's really not much left to worry about. Because that stuff really kind of loses its importance in my life. Secondly, when God's ways become my focus, like his ways become my ways. Remember in verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all, focus, and live righteously. That means live God's way. When I live God's way, there's not a lot to worry about. When I live my relationships God's way, when I live with my money God's way, when I live with my health God's way, when I, when I, when I live with my challenges and changes God's way, there's just not a lot to worry about. Finally, when God and his purposes are my aim, there's not much to worry about. See, the enemy tells us that our purpose is somewhere out here. And it's like running on a treadmill. We chase all these things thinking, that will give me a sense of purpose, that will give me a sense of value. And uh, we come to the end of our lives and we just realize there's nothing there. I just read an article uh, about William Shatner, the actor, and he's doing a new show. I think it's with the History Channel. And uh, he's uh, exploring mysteries, right? Why do, why do certain things exist, paranor- uh, paranormal kinds of things, etc.? It was an interview with him. And I think he's like 80, something like 88 years old, still going. But it's really interesting him. As they were asking him, have you found value? Have you found purpose in life? And he, he basically says, you know, I've been doing this for all these years, and I still am trying to figure out what my life's supposed to be about. I have all these things. I have all this success. I'm a star. I've got money. I, I got a show. I'm 88. I'm still going, but I'm still empty. I'm still empty. That's because none of these things will ever satisfy. And so these things eat away at your life, at my life. God is our hope. God fulfills us. God does not take away from us. If we'll depend on him, he will do far more and exceedingly more than we realize. So I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story about a time when Marcia, my wife, and I were, were just married. And uh, we had gone to school here in Minnesota at Crown College I got my associate of arts degree. She had hers. And I really wanted to go into medicine. So we moved back to Michigan. My dad had a little farm there, and he gave us a mobile home to live in. And 
we both started going to school. We were taking chemistry and microbiology, and I was also volunteering uh, with a youth group. And God was blessing the volunteer time with the youth group. Uh, things were happening, and it was growing, and I just loved being with the kids. But I got to be honest with you, I was doing really bad at chemistry. In fact, uh, I was taking like the first level, and the professor asked my wife, who's very smart with math and things like that, uh, said to her, I don't know why you're in this class. You should be in the advanced class. And uh, she didn't have the, I mean, she was kind enough, which she should have said I'm here because of him. But anyway, uh, what happened was, as I kept working in the youth ministry, I realized, I realized that was always God's calling in my life. Why was I running away from it? So Marsh and I made a decision to quit school. I got a job for a while to earn a little bit of money, and we we're going to head back to Crown College. So we're coming down to the final uh, week before we move back to Minnesota so I can get my bachelor's in theology. And uh, the youth group put on a little event for us, and, and they had this little money tree. And I think there were 24 $1 bills, as I remembered, on that money tree. And it was, if you think about the time it was happening back then and, and kids, I mean, that was really generous to them. And $24 meant a lot back then. And so we took it home. We were so thankful. And uh, it was also that week was the missions conference. And a missionary was speaking at our church. And I had decided I wanted to take my dad and my brother out for ice cream afterwards. So the three of us were going to go. And then I was going to treat them to ice cream because my dad had been so generous and kind to me. And, and uh, I just wanted to bless him and my brother and have kind of one last hurrah. And so I grabbed that wad of money. I stuck it in my pocket. That's how I was going to pay for it. So we're in the service, the missionary tells a story, gets done, pastor gets up, and the pastor decides to take a special offering. Don't you hate it when pastors do that? They ask for that special offering? I know how you feel. Because I sat in there, I thought, oh my goodness. And the thought went through my mind, reach in your pocket, take all that money out and put it in the plate. Now that thought did not come from me. I am convinced it came from God. Not in an audible voice, but a voice that spoke very strongly in my mind. And I started arguing with the voice. Have you ever done that? Have you ever argued with the voice in your mind, especially if it's God? And I'm trying to go like, God, this can't be you. I don't really believe this is you. I can't imagine you're asking me to do this. You know I'm taking them out. And if I don't have this, I can't take them out. Uh, this must be my own voice. And then, listen to this. Then this voice comes into my mind. If you put it in the plate... I'll make sure your bill is paid for when you go to ice cream. That was bizarre, right? So this thought comes into my mind like a voice, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is, this is weird. You know, right? this, this cannot be God. God does, I've not heard God speak to me like that before. Like this whole thing, I'm just making this up in my mind. Well, the plate goes by, and I've got two voices. One says, put it in. The other says, I'll provide. And then there's my voice going, this can't be true. And the plate goes by, and I don't put it in. I know, I'm human, I messed up. After the service, we went uh, out to our favorite restaurant, had hot fudge sundaes and banana splits. It has to be ice cream, of course. And uh, we're having a good time talking, laughing, and uh, then it was time to go, and I motioned to the waitress, and I said, could I have the check? And I'm feeling kind of, you know, big man, I'm going to pay for this. And she looks at me, and she says, there's no check. It's all been paid for, including the tip. And I almost fell out of the booth on the floor. Like my dad and brother did not know the conversation that had happened in my head with God. And I, I just was blown away. I was also blown away by the fact that in spite of my lack of faith, 
God still showed up. Now, what was that all about? Well, I'm coming to Minnesota. I don't have a job. I don't have a place to live. I'm going back to school. I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. But I know God put that on my heart. And I think what God was doing was saying to me, Dale, if you live a life where you trust me, even though you may have little or none, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. If you start with me first, if you make me your priority. And uh, all of that kind of drove some thoughts in my mind. And one of the thoughts that I jotted down that I want to share with you is I learned back then that when, you, that when we, Marcia and I, that when we had less, we had more. When we had less, we had more. When, you have, when you're trusting God, all right, and it feels like you have very little, you actually have a whole lot. Because none of this, you don't, you know, you're not accumulating all this stuff, and so stuff's not in your way. You've got God. You've got God there for you. When we had less, we had, excuse me, we had, we had more as a result of God's grace. Another thought I wrote down was when we wanted God's will, when he was like our sole focus, that's when we experienced his presence and his power. And Marsh and I have learned that the whole way through our life. When we've wanted God more than anything else, that's when we've had his presence and his power. You know what? When, when God's providing when God's presence is there and God's power is there, this stuff just doesn't, doesn't matter much anymore. But here's the challenge for you and me. See, a lot of us through our lives have accumulated an awful lot of liability. And there's stuff out here in our lives that causes us to worry that if we're going to stop worrying, we're going to have to get rid of. We're going to have to downsize, so to speak. We're going to have to learn to have less in order to have more. So here's what I want you to do as we kind of bring this to a close. I want you to start thinking about the things you're worried about. In fact, sometime today, and you can begin now if you want, but sometime today I want to encourage you to actually get a sheet of paper out. And I want to challenge you to just start writing down the things that worry you. I don't care if you're young or old or in between. Just do that. Just start writing down all the things that worry you. And when you're done, take a, take a look at it. And here's some questions you can, you can answer. What, on, what of those worries has become kind of your source of, of hope and your source of, if I have this, if I keep this, if I do this, I'll have peace? The way you can ask that question is, if that, you know, and go through each one, if that was taken away from you right now, would you be angry? Would you panic? Or would you be okay with it? If you can be honest with yourself and say, man, if that was taken from me right now, I would just, I'd freak out. Then it's probably become an idol in your life. And it may be a person, it may be a thing, it might be your money, it might be whatever it is. If that's the case, repent. Say, God, I'm sorry that this has become the focus of my life. No wonder I'm so worried. I'm just handing it back over to you. It's not mine, it's yours. I want you to be the source. That's easy to do, isn't it? Second thought uh, that I'd like you to challenge you with is, what on your list, what can you honestly, sincerely live without? It's a cause of worry in your life, but you don't have to have it. You could live without it. And if you can identify things that are causing you worry that you could live without, then why not give them up? And trust God. 
let God take the place of those things or those wrong or bad relationships or whatever it might be. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting that if you have, if God's blessed you with, with some wealth, that that's a bad and evil thing. I'm not saying that. You may know how to manage that well. But I'm telling you, whatever you have, the question is, is it being used for God's glory? I suspect if it's being used for God's glory, you're not going to have as many worries. But I do suspect that if it's being used for your own sake and your own glory and building your own self up, it's becoming a drag on your life. It's becoming a source of challenge and fear and stress and anxiety for you. In a moment, I'm going to hand this over to your campus pastors. And you're going to have a chance to begin this process of surrendering your worries to God. You're going to have a chance to begin this process of yielding your life to the Lord. I hope you'll take that courageous, those courageous steps. And in doing that, experience a worry-free life. God bless you guys.